0: For great looking t shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts, the TNT shop is now open at TNTRadio.live. You're listening to Germ Warfare with Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: Germ Warfare at TNTRadio.live. That's my email address. Always a pleasure getting emails from you. Thank you uh, to those who do send me mails. Um, and um, a special thank you for including your geographical location. I'm always amazed at how far, at how far across the world my show spreads. It's, uh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful hearing from you. If you are watching, it's a great pleasure to have you here. TNT's website has all the links, uh, Rumble, X, YouTube, etc. If you want to watch uh, the show live, if you want to watch it after the fact, listen to it after the fact, you just go to my page on on TNT's website you'll find uh, today's show as well as previous shows available for download. So you can share them you can listen to them in your podcast app. Uh, pretty, pretty wide array of options. And uh, please do join in the live chat. Uh, say hi, uh, engage in the conversation. I've got the live chat open in front of me as well as my inbox. If you want to send me an email during the show and on that note, my name is jim this is jim warfare the battle of ideas
2: conversations to inform and include it's meant for everyday people to understand
0: today's news talk radio tnt it's
1: always a pleasure kovok almasian thank you for joining me in the trenches thank you very much for having me it's a really pleasure to be with you again Uh, well the pleasure is all mine uh but i want to chat to you uh about the Tucker Carlson interview with <laughs> Russian President Putin. But before we even talk about that, isn't it, isn't it amazing, Kavork, how somebody can can be let's say fired from the establishment media and end up becoming entirely, um, entirely bigger than pretty much the entire mainstream media
3: actually uh, if I want to be objective with Tucker Carson uh, it's it's At some point, let's say uh, 10 years and beyond that, it was a hate and love relationship uh, between me and Tucker Carlson when I watched his content and uh, some of his uh, coverage and reporting. It was uh, 180 degrees, I would say, against my own views. But later when the war in Syria started and when he started covering the Syrian war from a critical point of view of the US foreign policy, and he started to dig in more, let's say, asking people around him asking independent journalists of what's happening in the Middle East. I've seen more critical reporting from Tucker Carlson than any other uh, mainstream journalist when he used to work for Fox News, especially that when my country was an existential threat, we needed voices in the United States amplifying the suffering of the Syrian people and also trying to influence the people's opinions in the the United States so that the outcome of the voting process would be different, for example, right? But when Mm. he left the Fox News, uh, of course, he was already very big and he was too big for the what we call the establishment to tolerate his, let's say, anti-pharmaceutical industry opinions or the anti-war opinions regarding the Middle East and regarding Ukraine. Taiwan and China is a separate issue we can discuss that, uh, that later. And I think once he left, he got liberated uh, and his hands were more cuffed when he was in the mainstream press and now his hands are uncuffed uh, relatively, but there were also supporting factors for him. For example, when he decided to post on X, you have you have people like Elon Musk pushing his content all the time on X and Elon Musk is one of the most followed people on X i mean he's the owner right and also we we have to see for example there are certain accounts on X that are clearly Uh, collaborating with Elon Musk's team, those are the ones also pushing his content. So there is an intention and there is a work happening behind the scenes to push his work. And that's that's not like something uh, negative. I'm I'm just saying that his presence on X is also promoted by other influencers. And that's a good thing. And nowadays, a person like Tucker Carlson can receive tens of millions of views of any Interview or any episode he posts on X, that's a huge number. There is no mainstream media outlet that can uh, attract tens of millions of views. The CNN's peak viewership is around half a million views per day, right? Uh, so compared to that, I think this is going to revolutionize the um, the media the press, the way the people interact with between each other, and the way people uh, deliver their messages and the flow of information. Nowadays, X, in my opinion, is going to be converted into uh, the new uh, media platform for those who work in the mainstream and who want to leave and abandon this. And come and join the X. But mm. there is a tricky part in it because Elon Musk also has very controversial opinions and I do not think that his uh, self being embedded too close with the Netanyahu government is uh, is a positive, uh, uh, let's mm. say, uh, signal, right? So at the current moment, there are accounts being suppressed, accounts being uh, suspended because of their opinion of what's happening in the Gaza Strip. So I have, again, like a... Uh, not a positive opinion about him taking over X and not not a negative uh, point of view. We are trying to, let's say, uh, try to integrate ourselves in this digital world, trying to play on the dots and uh, not to be suspended and try to deliver messages without getting shadow banned and suspended. So it's a long term process, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you uh, with regards to Tucker and Elon and so on. Um, I I think what what I'm finding quite positive, though, is the fact that independent um, media is growing at a massive rate now. um, And there isn't a need for, let's say, a journalist to to go to a mainstream outlet like Fox or CNN. You don't need it anymore.
3: Yeah, actually, uh, the, the the good part of uh, X is that it also enables you to monetize your content. And this is something important for the content creators. If you if your followers can subscribe to you or if you can refer them to your, let's say, Patreon account or any other platform that you use to finance uh, to your work, that's a good way of enabling independent journalism. And when you have independent journalists, you have independent thoughts. This is the important part of it. When when you have independent thoughts, then you have critical minds trying to shape the outcome of, let's say, certain events, whether it's cert- social events or political events, in a way that serve the, uh, the interests of the public, because these people are not close to establishment people. Uh, nowadays, the mainstream journalists, uh, there is a very s- small, thin, thin uh, fine line between them and the people in the establishment, they try to come closer and closer to them to get Get the fruits of this uh, relationship with them. So they are being dishonest with their reporting. They are being um, they they want to get the uh, let's say the gifts from uh, serving the establishment. They get better jobs. They get better careers. They get uh, compensations. For example, I want to mention this: like German journalists nowadays here are uh, awarded uh, according to a Bundestag, a parliament report, a side jobs by the government here for doing a good job. So you can make and generate more money for just being uh, good and nice to to the government. And unlike that, the independent journalists are part of the people. We are close to the street. We know what's painful for them. We know what their suffering is, but the people in the elites, They're completely detached from the reality. And even if the journalists who work for the legacy media are closer to the people, to the ordinary people, but because there is an invested interest to um, try to uh, put makeup in the reports, trying to distract the people from the dire facts, for example, the Senate approved... How, how how much is it? $90 billion of aid package to Ukraine, to Israel, and to Taiwan. That's a crazy number, uh, especially that the uh, United States is in trilli- trillions in debt. They don't have the money, so they will print the money. They will send the money abroad. And then they will uh, uh, receive this, recycle the money from the pockets of the people because of the inflation. So the people will be poorer in the United States in the coming uh, days. And this is not a good sign. So in any respected country, there should be respected journalists criticizing this and siding on the side of the people against such acts. Okay. What did you think of Tucker's interview with Putin? actually it's very interesting interview i watched the two-hour interview with great interest i took some notes and i think this was more about putin than about tucker carson tucker carson he received immense criticism before he conducted this interview and i think he was under real pressure and he tried to be more mainstreamish when he was posing his questions and tried to interrupt putin like he wasn't really horrible he was he was good but he, he couldn't hold the conversation uh, or he couldn't direct the conversation to a direction that he wants. It was Putin who was in charge and in control of the conversation. And regardless of what questions he received, he wanted to answer them the way he wants so that he uh, pushes his message because he knows millions of Americans are watching him and millions of also Europeans are watching him and in the past let's say 2 years because of the blockade over the uh, information that any type of information from Russia the media outlets are uh, closed here and blocked in in Europe so he managed to send a message to the Europeans and to the Americans w- without the need of the Russian media outlets right this was a, a, a an achievement for putin more than an achievement for tucker however tucker he couldn't really dig in into the important issues that uh, putin was raising he had a set of ideas in his mind and he said he had a set of uh, set of uh, questions in his mind and he wanted just to follow them instead of trying to extract a question from the ideas that putin uh, was raising and there were so many important uh, topics that uh, putin raised when it came to the expansion of nato when it came to the uh, the role of, uh, or let's say, weaponizing Ukraine against Russia and the mutual history between these both countries. He tried, in my opinion, Putin to send the message that peace is possible with Russia. And the timing of it was important because we have now reports that Russia is preparing for a summer offensive. And uh, the summer offensive in this uh, dire circumstances in uh, Ukraine, I think the Ukrainians will lose more territories. So this is an opportunity for the Ukrainians, for the Europeans, for the Americans to sit on the table and talk with uh, with Putin, because what's the alternative to to talk and diplomacy? The alternative is the continuation of the war. But in Ukraine, we have the average fighting age for males, for men in Ukraine, is 40 years old. So uh, many of the younger generation either perished in the hostilities or escaped the country. So how can they sustain this war? It's 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 not possible to achieve a victory against Russia. So the goal is to prolong the war, to uh, to continue sending these aid packages there to sell American weapons in the Ukrainian markets to establish. Defense defensive uh, uh, factories in Ukraine to manufacture the spare parts of the American weapons in Ukraine, so creating another market for the military industrial complex and the armed contractors in the US on Ukrainian soil. This is pure sadism, in my opinion, because the only ones who are going to suffer the most are the Ukrainian people. And I hope if any Ukrainians are watching, they have to understand that in international politics, it's not based on our emotions, anger and the uh, desire for revenge. Those are things that happen in our daily lives. It happens between, uh, let's say, not jobs, between people who are driven by emotions. The Russian foreign policy is not built on that. If we want to speak objectively, the Russian foreign policy is built on the realist uh, uh, theory in international relations. And it's easier to predict the Russian foreign policy and especially predict and foresee what they will do next. And what I'm trying to explain to the Ukrainians that the next step of the Russians will be they will try to seal the Black Sea. They will try to seal it completely in the face of the Ukrainian forces. This could take a year, two, three, four. But the slow grabbing of land that they uh, this approach that they adopted it will advance sooner or later. Later, because Ukraine doesn't have the manpower and the Europeans and the Americans cannot keep printing money without social backlash because this is something that we nowadays pay here in Berlin for example if you buy uh, if if this was 100 euro it's now 120 130 140 euros right because we are paying from the inflation from we are paying financing this world, but the people cannot finance this forever Unlike uh, Russia, who has a steady income from the uh, sales of the gas to uh, India, to China, to other markets, and their manufacturing, military factories, proven to be more efficient compared to the Americans. And they are able to uh, redeploy forces, manpower, and also artilleries on the front line, something that the Ukrainians cannot sustain. and I'll be back with you shortly. My name is Jerm, this is TNT. TNT's Misty Winston. She says, How is anyone still talking about October 7th? What Israel has done since October 7th is many times worse than what happened on that day by any conceivable metric. The only way to feel otherwise is to believe Israeli lives are worth many times more than Palestinian lives. How is Israeli suffering still being centered over vastly less significant acts of violence three months ago while exponentially worse violence and suffering is being inflicted by Israelis right this very moment? If your nation is attacked and you respond to that attack by by immediately murdering thousands of children with incredible savagery, then you forfeit any right to expect anyone to give a shit that your nation was attacked. Israel responded to the Hamas attack by doing something much, much worse than anything Hamas has ever done. And in doing so, completely delegitimizing itself as a state and completely validating everything the Palestinian resistance has been saying about the state of Israel since day one.
0: Misty Winston on today's News Talk TNT. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. But the danger to animals the world over is growing, and the need for your help has never been more urgent. On land, you'll help stop poachers from threatening and killing elephants and big cats for the illegal wildlife trade. In the oceans, you'll help rescue dolphins, whales, and seals from deadly hazards. And you'll help rescue, rehabilitate, and release vulnerable animals when disasters strike. Here at home and around the world, we can't do this work without you. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. It's time to switch on today's news talk radio. Very entertaining. Yeah! TNT.
1: So something Putin spoke about is um, basically why NATO is not really an honorable organization. And he spoke about its
3: expansion. What did you make of that? The first question that I would like to ask, what's the purpose of NATO? We know what was the purpose of NATO after the World War II was over. It was to counter the Soviet Union and its uh, presence in Eastern Europe and till the borders with Berlin. But when the Soviet Union withdrew from Berlin, there was an agreement to uh, not expand one inch to the east of Berlin. And since then, NATO expanded uh, four or five times till the borders with uh, Russia. And the last stage, we have to understand in geopolitics, the Americans see Europe as a bridge to uh, project their power inside Russia. So if for them, Europe has four bridges. The first is France. The second is Germany, then Poland, then Ukraine. And in these three countries, the first three countries, they already have that. And the last bridge that uh, they want to establish to have a connect a co- a connectivity and continuity between the oldest European countries is Ukraine. The moment that the Americans expand to Ukraine and they establish a NATO country, or a de facto NATO country there, and they incorporate the Ukrainian army into the NATO armed forces and they establish their, uh, let's say, missile uh, systems. They establish nuclear weapons in, in Ukraine. That means now NATO has... A, a leverage over the domestic affairs of Russia. This is something that people need to understand. The moment that NATO expands to Ukraine, then the the United States will be able to project its power inside of the Russian Federation. Something they tried to do, if you remember, in the 80s and the 90s, to the Chechen, uh, what they called the insurgents, and they tried to hit the belt of Russia several times through these uh, radical elements on the southern borders of the Russian Federation. The Russians know all these informations, and they know. Based on the historical facts and geopolitical facts, at the moment the uh, NATO expands to Ukraine, then the uh, turbulences and the conflicts may start happening again inside of Russia. Therefore, uh, the prediction that Russia will invade Ukraine and occupy the entire Donbass region or try to seal the Black Sea and reach to Odessa was uh, predictable for many people. Uh, I mean, myself, I thought that the Russians would not do that because uh, the Russians have a history of backing off the last moment, for example, what happened in Libya. They gave them the green light to uh, 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 through the UN Security Council to bomb Libya, although the, the resolution was not that way. And then we have the 2003, for example, they again, uh, uh, they didn't do much to stop the invasion but it seems that for the Russians this was the red line that nobody can cross because for them this is an existential war uh, existential warfare and they intervened and unfortunately speaking, the 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 people who are paying the price are the Ukrainian people now what is the role of NATO? Why do they want desperately to incorporate uh, Ukraine into NATO? This is the main reason. It's a geopolitical reason. It's to project power inside Russia, and two, in order to find uh, a line where they can separate Russia from projecting its power to Eastern uh, Europe, because Russia without Ukraine is only regional Asian power. Russia with Ukraine or a friendly Ukraine to, to Russia, it's a Eurasian power. So the Russians also are playing chess with the Americans and they went to this war. And I think the end game of this is going to be from the Russian point of view to create a landlocked country. Uh, in in Ukraine, so the Ukrainians cannot access to the Black Sea, so Ukraine loses its value and importance as a geopolitical, uh, as important geopolitical country. And two, the I mean, even Putin hinted this during the conversation when we spoke about the history of Ukraine and how some of these regions were part of Hungary, Romania, and other countries or Poland. So he even hinted that in case of the disintegration of the Ukrainian uh, country and that is highly plausible by the way if you if Russia seals the uh, Black Sea then the Hungarians and the uh, Polish will come and take over these territories. And this is one of the reasons, in my opinion, why the Brits, why the Polish, why the Poles, why the Germans are preparing their people for war against Russia. And they're saying that we have to get ready for war in five years. We have to um, reintroduce uh, conscription to the military. They are giving lots of uh, attractions for the people to join the military. In my opinion, they know that there is not going to happen. In a war against russia but they need manpower to secure western ukraine something that the russians are not interested in they don't want to occupy they don't want to take over it w- because it's a hostile environment for them remember western ukraine is a hostile environment for them it's uh, Uh, not, uh, let's say, productive for them or convenient for them to occupy Western Ukraine. What they want is the regions where they have a welcoming environment, and that is Eastern Ukraine till Odessa. Beyond that, it's a hostile environment. They have no interest in doing that. And that's when I think the Brits the Poles, the Germans, they want to send arms there to try to find a solution and, uh, and and divide Western Ukraine into parts and incorporate it into different regions. This is my opinion about this case. And I think uh, what the Brits are talking every day and this fear mongering about an imminent war about uh, with Russia, this is the main reason something, of course, they're not going to tell the people that Ukraine is losing the war and we have to go and rescue Western Ukraine. They have to fear monger and prepare the people for war against Russia, something will never happen russians will not invade western ukraine will not invade poland this is just in um fear mongering and trying to steer the emotions of the people once you uh let's say uh freak out the people it's easier to manipulate them and it's easier to send them to fight i mean who are the people going to fight at the end of the day from the poor and from the middle class i hope nobody falls for this trap again
1: yeah you mentioned odessa and uh, putin spoke about what happened in 2014 uh with the uh with the uprising and what's interesting is that there is also a cultural element uh a lot of the population on the eastern side of Ukraine are actually ethnically Russian uh and um the mainstream keeps downplaying that
3: and Putin did he highlighted that fact Actually, the difference between the Russians and the Ukrainians is difficult to explain. I mean, uh, it's like the Syrian people and the Lebanese people. Like, if you go a little bit back in history, they were one people, they were one country, or they were one nationhood, one civilization. And through time, uh, because of certain political security events or uh, the foreign colonization of the region, some of the regions were separated from others. Like, uh, the the, the problem of the Russians is that also the near future we're speaking about in the 40s when some of the elements in ukraine were allied with the nazis we're talking about the banderists and nowadays these people still have a strong presence in western ukraine i mean there are neighborhoods named after him he's 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 considered uh, with the presidential decree the the he had the medal of the hero of ukraine and they commemorate his death every year and they uh, walk with torches everywhere so we know that neo-Nazism exists everywhere, in every country, but not in every country it is embraced by the state, unlike in Ukraine. Ukraine, they embrace these uh, movements, and when since you mentioned Odessa, and this is an important uh, uh, geography for Russia, and remember what happened when the coup d'état uh, happened and the people in Odessa, just like in the Donbass region, were rejecting this, and the pro-Russian people or ethnic uh, Russians were rejecting the coup. The, uh, Azov Battalion, the, um, the other neo-nazi groups the uh what was the name the sector uh the, the, these volunteers in these neo-nazi groups they went with buses full of uh, armed people to odessa to fight against these uh, uh, ethnic russians and they even there is this incident of burning the people alive in the building of the um i think it was the it's not a ministry but it's it's for the workers union you know and there are over 60 people died, uh, burned alive in that place for those who were rejecting the, the coup. So there was a harsh suppression against the people who rejected the coup. And when we say coup, it's not like some word we throw in, in, uh, in, in, in our discussion. It was a coup d'état. It was illegal coup d'état against a, a democratically elected uh, president. And the process of impeaching him was illegal. Uh, the, The number of votes that they needed to impeach him were not met in the, in the Ukrainian parliament after he fled the country. So every government that came after him, is considered illegal according to the Ukrainian constitution itself. So the Americans, of course, do not care about that. And uh, Victoria Nuland, when she said, F the EU, and they, um, he, she was uh, discussing with the American ambassador in Kiev how they are going to distribute the uh, ministerships among the uh, the people that are close uh, to to the United States. This is a coup. And there's so many examples in the past from Chile, from Honduras, from Syria, uh, from uh, from Iran, from attempts in Cuba, in Venezuela. It's the same script uh, that they followed. And unfortunately, this time worked. And uh, I, I truly think that this is a very, very dangerous conflict in Ukraine. And um, in 2014, when the coup happened, I remember a professor from uh, Lebanon, he is an expert in international relations, he told me, if World War III is going to erupt, it's going to erupt in Ukraine, and I couldn't understand him back then, and now I see repercussions and the implications of the Ukraine war is so massive that it is shaping the international system to a direction that the Americans do not like. And this is something that also uh, related to the Tucker Carson interview with Putin, that Americans can see, ordinary Americans, that Russia has uh, a competent, skillful president, whether you agree with him or not, unlike their president who cannot uh, formulate two sentences coherently, which gives you the impression that... Biden is not in charge of the foreign policy, and there are so many american let's call them the patriots or the conservatives. they crave for such a leadership someone who is able to take over the the country and unite it etc something that they can' see in putin right so putin sent um Uh, achieved lots of uh, successes in this interview and he managed to send lots of hidden messages to the American people that he is not some sort of a nut job, he is a skillful president and he is, uh, whether you agree with him or or not, he's in charge of his country and he's the man who can draw the foreign policy and can make peace or war with other countries, unlike in the United States that you don't know who is in charge and with who you can speak because you may strike a deal with the president like uh, Obama, the nuclear deal, and then uh, someone else comes, Trump comes and he says, I don't want this agreement. <laughs> How can you trust a superpower like the United States that they can just uh, tear apart an agreement that uh, uh, was negotiated about four years, for many years, right? So the credibility is very important uh, if you want to stay in a position of a superpower. And with today's Uh, package aid package billions of new uh, aid to israel that is committing a genocide in gaza and to ukraine to recycle the money and come back to the pockets of the armed contractors i mean uh, it's pretty obvious uh, to me that the americans have to act their act together and they have to be outraged and they have to uh, the people are asking me what can they do i think uh, just voting and sending uh, emails is not going to work they have to embarrass their uh, politicians every time they see them i saw the video today of hillary clinton being interrupted many times during an event uh, the uh, former ambassador to uh, to the un of uh, the us was also anytime you see a politician giving a lecture and uh, preaching about uh, politics or humanitarianism or international law etc cetera, etc cetera, you have to interrupt them and you have to call them uh, uh, what they are they are war criminals and uh, these mm. people's hands are soaked with blood in my opinion and uh, there is no way to stop them unless we have an um multi-polar world on for and uh, but the american side will not give up will not well, give up inter- without a fight
1: yeah it's interesting you mentioned that putin is well aware of that um and he indicated uh at least implied that the um rules-based international order which is effectively the heart of America's foreign policy um that doesn't really exist actually it's completely and utterly broken
3: yeah actually what is the rules-based order this is the question right what are the rules of this rules-based order I mean if the rules that if the United States sets the rules and doesn't follow them, then there are no rules. We're living in a jungle. If the judge is uh, uh, is the United States and the rules are set by the United States, then we don't have rules-based order. And we can see, look, what happened in Ukraine was horrendous. Uh, uh, the number of the civilians uh, who got murdered around ten thousand, I believe, in two years. And compared to what's happening in the Gaza Strip, we are uptuned to 30,000 civilians dead now in the Gaza Strip uh, in four months uh, compared to two years with Ukraine. I mean, with the support of the United States, with the support of the European countries, with the arms from the United States. It sends a signal to the international community to the rest of the world to the global south to the people ordinary people living whether in palestine whether in syria whether in iraq whether in any country that is thinking of having normal relationship with the united states that the u.s doesn't care about the ordinary people doesn't care about the um, people in the global south this is something very important because the monetary power is shifting to the east and the chinese are using that Uh, through their investments to gain the hearts and the minds of the people in the global south they are of course the chinese just like any other superpower they they want to have influence leverage and control over different uh, parts of the world geopolitically or economically but the tools and the means are different Uh, the americans destroy a country a nation and then they come and offer help and uh, and of course the destruction happens with the arms that they dumped in this country. And then they come with their, uh, uh, their banks and uh, to reconstruct the country, just like what they did now in Ukraine. They are offering exclusive deals to BlackRock and other uh, bankers in the US to reconstruct the, the, uh, the country. The Chinese are coming and constructing the, the infrastructure. The other day I read a, a, a fascinating example from Chile And uh, in the 70s, when the coup happened there in in Chile and the Americans orchestrated the coup and removed the socialist uh, president uh, from power, they brought a dictator, his name was uh, Pinochet, and Pinochet dismantled the railways in uh, in Chile. Nobody knows why he dismantled the railways back then, and he established uh, um, uh, highways instead of it. And this led to the crumbling of the uh, Chilean uh, economy in certain aspects. Now uh, that the Chinese are coming back to Latin America, to Africa, they built an entire railway system for the Chileans uh, and a very fast um, uh, railway or uh, metro system for, for them. Something is unprecedented in the entire Latin American continent and with a very competitive price. So, people firsthand can see objective realities, right? You can probably analyze things, comment about certain events, but if people see with their own eyes the fruits of cooperation, uh, with China and the fruits of cooperation with the uh, United States, they will find a difference. I remember a, a quote from Hosni Mubarak, the former president of Egypt who recently died. He said, uh, um, the nations who cover themselves with an American blanket get cold. Like, uh, it's like every time you cover yourself with an American blanket, you get a cold. Like you, you're not covered. And uh, although his country, is, was an ally uh, with, the, with the U.S. And the problem with that is because the United States foreign policy is not really um, based on the national security interests of the American, of the United States as a nation. But rather, there are so many invested interests of people who have individual and financial interest in different parts of the world. So there is a conflict of interest in the United States itself or what type of foreign policy they have to pursue. If their foreign policy is based on a strategic view and trying to preserve the uh, the security of the global security, their interest now is to have good relationship with Russia, good relationship with China, and try to have the uh, business relationship with them and invest in their countries instead of trying to wage economic wars because you cannot compete. you know, they cannot compete with the with the uh, with the Chinese. Although they preach free market but now they want to fight against the Chinese uh, investments it's a really contradictory uh, foreign policy it's based on the fact that they want to stay hegemon and I understand that and uh, I don't want for the United States to disappear as a power because everybody needs the United States as a uh, as a strong power uh, th- that has its own Ah, uh, projection of power. It has own strength in the economic strength, etc., around the world, and its cultural influence around the world. We don't. If the United States falls and there is an economic collapse in the United States, it it will impact the entire uh, globe. Entire world will be impacted mm-hmm. negatively by the collapse of the, whether it's a banking system or a monetary system in the United States. So the good thing is to, for, the, for the same people in the United States to pursue multipolarity with the rising powers to back off a little bit, to save power, energy, and finances instead of spending stupid amount of money nowadays in Ukraine and Israel. To recharge and come back in a decade or two, but this insistence on um, trying to stay hegemon with bombing Yemen, bombing Iraq, where the people with flip flops they are not even they don't they are not even mm. scared of the United States anymore. It, it, two decades ago, if the Americans said we are sending our warships to the United uh, to to the Middle East, everybody would have had uh, a, a wetty pants. Now, nobody cares that the Americans are sending warships. The Yemenis, the poor, one of the poorest countries in the world, they uh, uh, they battled the American warships in the Red Sea and the Americans had to withdraw. So the times have changed, you know, and uh, every superpower and every empire has its cycle. They can um, increase their power and decrease their power at some points. And now they have to rest a little bit, go back into isolationist mode, take care of their own people, uh bring their economy into better shape and come back but come back as a sane uh, player again and not as a bully as that we because since I opened my eyes to politics I don't see but uh, American bombs falling over our heads in the region I'll be back with you
1: shortly my name is Jerm this is TNT
0: with his expert analysis and opinion
1: this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea what a dink.
4: Nikki Haley had a record fundraising month in January. January ended last Wednesday. And last Wednesday was the day that Nikki was in Miami Beach meeting with a Democrat billionaire mega donor. Yeah, I'm sure those three things had nothing to do with each other. Right. I'll tell you something else that has nothing to do with anything. And that's Democrat politicians with R's after their name, like Nikki, like Chris Christie, like Lindsey Graham, like Mitt Romney, like Liz Cheney, Adam Kinziger, you know the type, and Republican values. And yet all of them claim that they are in politics to preserve and uphold Republican values. Now, if you want genuine Republican values, you've got to look at Donald Trump, at the America First agenda. You've got to look at what Make America Great Again really means. It means a rising tide lifts all boats. It means prosperity for regular workaday people, not just elites, whose values are more in line with Davos than with those in the Dakotas. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea. For today's news talk, TNT.
2: Sometimes a car comes along that changes everything, with innovations never thought possible and features that make you wonder, how did people survive without this? This is that time, and this is that car. This is the world's first VWB. Equipped with transparent doors to eliminate reasonable suspicion, whatever that means. A 10 and two steering wheel that keeps hands visible at all times. We remove the glove box so there's no confusion about what the driver is reaching for. With a touch of a button, the ultrasonic biometric scanner displays the license and registration of the driver to ensure contactless exchange of information. With no trunk, nothing can be concealed, so therefore, there is nothing to search and seize. To ensure you will never be mistaken for breaking the speed limit, we've installed limited edition airless tires. And we removed the engine because, honestly, why risk it? DWB, the first vehicle of its kind, with the safety feature is the car itself I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. I had a a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org
0: jeremy Nell on today's news talk radio
1: tnt so just before the break of you were talking about um how putin was uh giving an, his analysis of um uh, essentially the rules-based order in america overplaying its hand a little bit he also spoke about BRICS. uh mm-hmm. what do you what do you make of that
3: Actually, BRICS, it's a very important concept and it's a very interesting concept to bring different competing economic blocks together to compete against the, uh, the collective West or the G7 uh, at the current moment. It's quite obvious that uh, there is an attempt to exclude some powers from what is called the international community. Therefore, we will find parallel Uh, groupings, whether they're economic, whether they're security uh, groupings or political groupings in order to uh, create, um, uh, let's say, a political atmosphere or political and economic process for these countries to thrive and continue thriving in the face of the suppression of the free market for their own products and for their uh, own markets. In my opinion, the BRICS is going to uh, have an important role in the future, but we have to wait and see up until the moment when the Chinese really try to uh, use the BRICS and especially the BRICS uh, bank uh, in order to invest in other countries and give big loans to the devastated countries in exchange for investments in these countries and leverage this is going to be the point where we have to see if china is going to step in as a uh, colonial power or as a country that can uh, let's say have an influence over different parts of the world and make and create business atmosphere in these countries without imposing political conditions because the difference between if you take a loan from the world bank for example or the imf they will impose uh, political conditions, and this is the aspect where colonialism or neocolonialism comes, because the Americans tell you you have to change your constitution, you have to democratize yourself, all these things are, for example, allowing the American-backed NGOs to operate in your countries, all, all these things are just the Trojan horses, that once you accept them, there is no way back. Like, look at the Egyptians. Once the Egyptians accepted loans, once the Egyptians accepted the American terms, their hands are completely cuffed now in face of what's happening in Gaza, in Rafah. Rafah is a very important border crossing for Egypt. It's a national security threat for Egypt, but their hands are cuffed with these loans, with this financial aid that they receive uh, from the United States. In my opinion, the BRICS has to present a different uh, approach uh, to the people. And additionally, there is something also very important, the cultural aspect of it. That's very, very important. The Chinese are working on it. The uh, Russians are still ignoring it, I don't know why, but the Americans and the European Union, they have in their establishment, they have one of the pillars of their establishment is the cultural aspect, the education aspect. For example, uh, the European way of life, European values, our values. If you go to uh, East European countries that are not yet in the EU and speak with the younger generation, people are like, we want to be like a European, you know, we want to have their values. This is something that is uh, based on indoctrination, education, media, press, music. Art, culture, everything. Erasmus education, for example, you invite thousands of students from other countries to come and study in your country. This is still something a little bit, uh, I feel like uh, the Russians and the Chinese are stepping like a dinosaur, you know, like very slow moves. And they're not able to present to the people that, for example, the Russians are not what is used to be like a Soviet Union, right? And the Chinese are not able to tell uh, yet to the younger generation, to the youth around the world that we are not in the 70s, you know? there is like there is a blockade of information maybe from the chinese side from the american from the uh, sorry from the russian side i'm not sure about that but they have to uh, uh, in parallel with their economic and political cooperation there has to be this cultural aspect now the chinese are doing it for example they are giving countries in europe um uh, free, visa-free entry to uh, to China. This is important. They have to attract more. Let's say, give more um, uh, scholarships to Europeans, to other people around the world from this global south to come and study in China, learn the Chinese language, and bring their experiences to their countries. You know, this is crucial point. Uh, for the BRICS. If the BRICS will be only based on uh, politics and economy, it's not going to succeed because see what the EU uh, can do. They They fund programs, millions of euros per year for education, for creating NGOs in other countries trying to market their own way of life, that this is the correct one and this is the one that will bring progress uh, to your countries. And unless there is a competition you know, from the Chinese and the Russian side and the better marketing for the model, uh, it's not going to be very successful in my opinion, uh, unless they are only keen on not having, not playing this role and staying on the sideline, allowing the Europeans and the Americans to continue with the color revolutions around the world. I think that is very counterproductive for them. Um, you go to Armenia, this is my fatherland, and you ask younger generation if you prefer uh, BRICS or the EU. I can assure you, if you ask 10 people about the BRICS and EU, maybe nine of them haven't heard about the BRICS in, 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 in Armenia, right? It's not a big market, but still, it's a East European, uh, it's in the Caucasus, and there is a struggle of power between the Europeans and the Russians over this place. So there has to be more marketing for their vision and how can they see the future of these countries? And how can they help these countries to overcome their economic problems? The root of the problems lay in the economics. I understand that. But the marketing is very, very important for the people to accept the Russian and the Chinese models. And I think the BRICS has to work on that in in the near future. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I mean, here
1: in South Africa, um, and perhaps maybe because we're also part of BRICS, most most of the technological items in my home come from china you know mm-hmm. we have a lot of tech a lot of uh, infrastructure uh, coming from china very little coming from america if any the only the only things that we get coming from the united states are threats of sanctions and you know military action you know if we don't comply or you know we had Victorian newland in south africa last year when when uh, uh, putin was meant to have visited that sort of thing is 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 how is how we see the united states but we don't see china that way and china doesn't attach political messaging to its products that's very very important
3: yeah actually the other day i was reading a report in a financial report that says the chinese production uh is exceeds the production of the next seven greater economies and uh, their production is so immense and so big uh that in any fair and free market world uh the competition is going to be decisive in favor of of China. And therefore, as you mentioned, the sanctions, for example, and in parallel with the sanctions, you have the fear mongering, for example, the other day I watched a report on a German state TV channel called Deutsche Welle. Of course, they don't say it's a state TV, but the funding is from the state anyways, and uh, they were fear mongering against the electric cars from China. And they were saying how uh, damaging it is for the European economies, for Hungary for Hungary to accept the sell or the buying of the Chinese uh, electric cars. And now when I turn on my YouTube channel, because uh, the advertisements comes on based on your location and algorithm, etc., I'm receiving all of the time uh, 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 the advertisements of Chinese electric cars in Germany, when they are the ones uh, fear-mongering against the Chinese electric cars, so they need the Chinese money and the Chinese investments, but at the same time they are fear-mongering against uh, uh, the Chinese cars. There is no way for Germany to compete with China. I mean, they shot themselves in the leg already, it Just this, this was just one year ago, with the Nord Stream pipelines, and the Americans like shot them not only in the leg but also in the head, but uh, they're still unaware of it and uh, uh, they're de- in denial that what happened is uh, going to reverse the progress of uh, of germany in the past decades as an economic powerhouse in the region but it's going to happen sooner or later mm. okay Kvork, we are slowly run- running out of time so we maybe got about
1: three minutes uh, i'd like you to give me your closing thoughts on tucker's interview with putin
3: Actually this interview was very very important for one for many multiple reasons one because there is no uh, alternative media or mainstream media outlet that can attract over 200 million views so the legacy media is in panic mode because they are dying slowly but surely Secondly, uh Putin presented sent a message to the collective west that peace is possible with uh with with his country. Thirdly, the people around the world they saw that the, you have a president in Russia that is not a crazy Hitler who woke up in the morning and decided to invade the uh, neighboring countries. And fourth, Putin was able to speak about multiple issues, for example, that is in the interest or it interests the European and the American people, for example, the gender issues and all these LGBTQ issues here. But he didn't raise these issues because he wanted to use the time to send the message to, to the Europeans that we have mutual grounds in uh, between us i don't want i'm not here to speak about what is separating us i'm here to speak about what can unite us because the alternative for guys joe joe is war war and this is not in the interest of the europeans to continue fighting against russia the europeans cannot sustain a war against russia not in the manpower and not economically and not in any other aspect therefore the americans have to come and present themselves as a protector of the Europeans. And this is the point of the fear-mongering against uh, the uh, Russian Federation is to increase the presence of the Americans in in, in the region and to find the slice. The right slice, they, they found, is in Ukraine. They don't want Russia to have its relationship with the, the rest of the European countries and most importantly, they don't want healthy relationship between Germany and Russia because if these two countries come closer in business, this will create a different security architecture and trust between them and if these both countries if if, if russia pro- gives gas and germany produces technology then this will create a, a new security architecture in the region that nato is no more needed therefore it was important to hit the Nord stream pipeline to kill this project and to kill any sort of cooperation between the both sides okay great timing kavok let's quickly promo <laughs> your work thank you so much really for having me it's really a pleasure to be with you and speak and discuss these important issues with your audience oh, well hang on I'm, I'm looking to promote your your channel and your website my channel my, my channel is syriana analysis it's on YouTube and rumble and on my personal name they can find me also on uh, Twitter I'm active on these three accounts recently
1: yes and i follow you and it's an absolute pleasure to follow you and it's an absolute pleasure chatting to you kavok almasi and thank you for joining me in the trenches it's great to be with you my friend i will certainly invite you back in the meantime please do send me an email germ warfare at uh, TNTRadio.live, if you enjoyed the conversation if you have any questions feedback suggestions ideas for topics i'm always willing to hear and um, i'm open i'm open any kind of ideas this is of course the battle of ideas so i do enjoy uh, hearing from you that's uh that's me done for today i'll catch you tomorrow my my name is germ this is germ warfare the battle of ideas